to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Um, <laughs> we started off with Kai's cat in the background already, so she's starting us off early. Uh, yeah, we're finally getting back to it. Things have been a little busy for sure, but we'll get into the reasons why and some other conversations. So first off, Kai, how you been? How you doing? Oh, man, we've been, I've been so busy. I've been extremely swamped with, uh, with orders and the monitor stuff, breeding things. Um, I'm basically trying to do a, a couple things a little bit differently, which uh, we'll get into a little bit more when uh, when we get into that part of the podcast. Um, other than that, man, you know, just uh, dealing with the normal stuff here. I got Gravid monitors right now and <clears throat> other monitors that getting into the things, uh, getting into the whole motion of reading and stuff like that. Uh, new new monitors that were recently imported that I recently got. Um, and really, you know, just a little bit of everything, acclimating, breeding, uh, making sure animals don't kill each other. <laughs> uh, you know, just quite the normal. Um, the last podcast I had, uh, which was roughly about a month or two ago, month and a half ago or something like that, um, I hatched out a coli. And then yeah. and then that, that guest, Aubrey, hatched out his. And so we've just kind of been, you know, living in the 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 excitement you know um just because it's uh as far as how we work together which will be another topic we'll have later on this podcast as well um just um bouncing ideas back and forth now it's ideas about you know babies and and then the genetics and the color schemes that we have um and then how to work forward from there what about you man shoot um (laughs) I get started where you're at right now. Get started on where you're at right now. All right. So it might sound a little different. Hopefully the echo is not too bad. But I'm down in this, the, what we call a basement here at my house. Um, so, you know, finally getting moved in here. We've hit some snags. But all in all, it actually looks like things are going to work out better than initially thought. Uh, we got into a lower interest rate on the house, which means less money overall. Um, but it's taken I, almost like two months longer than we, we wanted to to get this thing done. And there's a lot of reasons why it got kind of interesting because we're buying a house from a family trust and um, we're not really doing it with a realtor. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of things to, to figure out how to do correctly. And, um, you know, just, just moving money around because we do have money – actually tied up in this house even though we didn't own it but that's also the money that we had to use as a down payment to get into the house so the way that <laughs> you gotta you're like buying the house but that money gets promised back in to the deal and everything so um and then we had to switch mortgage hump- companies at one point um so friday finally going to be official on friday and this is part of you know where i'm going to be setting up shop and condensing down into um, you guys can't, the listeners can't see it, but, uh, Kai and our guests can see it. Um, and I kind of gave them a little tour before we started. So there's, there's a good amount of room, but you know, I, I had like two, two warehouse spots full. So I'm still condensing down a little bit. Um, so it's going to get interesting, but it's just another stepping stone. Eventually there will be more space and more stuff built, but on top of the house stuff, man, there was, um, Oh gosh, some I don't know how far into things I should go. <laughs> some personal like like family stuff 
that we had to deal with, um, still dealing with. Uh, my father-in-law had to have like emergency surgery. Um, so he is, we don't know, but we're pretty sure he's lost the use of his legs because of a cancerous tumor on his spine that they did get removed, but, um, it was already eating through the, the discs on his spine. So, and it's setting up kind of full-time care for that because, you know, the house that we're in, it's kind of like a, an older style, um, I think they call them tri-level houses. So there are stairs like down into certain rooms and whatnot. Um, and without the use of legs and with this house, I think it was built originally in like the 1960s. So it's not exactly accessible friendly and there's not a lot you can do or change because the way it was built. So we got a lot of that to figure out here soon. Um, some other issues going on that I, I won't get into, but, um, um, everything right as of today, it seems like everything is working out and everything's falling in place and, it's a lot of motivation to get this done because I got to have all the animals in here in like two weeks. So it's a lot of U-Haul. Yeah, it's a lot. U-Haul, and it's going to be a, a lot of moving stuff over and setting it up. And uh, you know, there's little problems that might. I don't. I'm not even sure that the electrical will really handle all the stuff I have to plug in. So fortunately, this whole week we're in like the upper 80s, low 90s, and we'll get into temps today, but in my experience, that's good enough to let stuff ride for a little bit. That's not thriving to any degree um, for a long-term purpose, but like, I'm almost certain Ackies could probably go through the entire summer at an ambient of 85, 90 degrees in the house somewhere or in the garage and uh, work with it. But of course, I'm going to be working feverishly to get them all set up and whatnot. It's just nice to know that I can do that. Some of the more temp-sensitive animals, they're going to get taken care of first, where the Ackies, uh, you know, possibly the sand monitors and the, uh, like the Australian pythons, like the bread lie, those things are so rock-solid tanks. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of let them ride at ambient temperatures in the warehouse before at the same temperature, so I'm not really afraid of that. And it's going to give me a little wiggle room. Um, plus, they're going to be here, so I don't have to drive anywhere to um, to check on anything or do it remotely by video. I can just now run downstairs and check on everything. So, so it's been busy. It's been crazy. Things have been falling into place. Oh, and on top of that, my wife is in her third trimester now, so um, everything's going good. We had some baby showers and whatnot to do, so you know, I had to I had to take time away from what I wanted to do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm down here in the basement so I can say this stuff and she's not going to hear it. <laughs> but no, we've been having a lot of fun, a lot of family flying in and whatnot and uh, seeing them. And then, of course, Mother's Day. So it has been incredibly busy. But um, And it's, it's starting to get hotter now, too, which is crazy. But yeah, yeah man, that's what's been going on here. Oh, other than that, um, not a lot going on as far as the the monitors my last clutch of sand monitor eggs that i was talking about in the last episode all infertile which is kind of a kick in the gut but um you know i expect a few other clutches from the monitors specifically i think the cams are going to go for another round i sent a picture to kai of two proven females that appeared locked up 
So yeah. we'll see what's going on with that. Cause I know for a fact that like, this isn't an accident or anything as far as yeah. the sexes of them. I've gotten and hatched clutches from both of these females and yeah. they're very distinctive from the male. It's not like there's a, there's a mix up of any sort. Yeah. So this is dominance, dominance locking. It could yeah. totally be, but if something popped out from that, man, I would lose my mind, you know, like, wait a yeah. second. But, um, but, um, so there hasn't been um, production from the animals like there was in the last few years. But for everything going on, I'm actually really, really thankful that I'm not going to have a bunch of mouths to feed. Well, um, I guess uh, I guess that, that you know that'll be a good for this episode too because you talked about instead of just doing the the light cooling, you're going to go into doing a full a full blown cooling season, so that way you get better fertility the next the next season, right? Yep. Then, yep. Yeah, you mentioned something like that, right? Well, that's, we'll get into that more, and then. Uh, but at the on the other hand, just to I know this is a monitor keeping podcast, but uh, I did get some some snake eggs from some first time species for me. Uh, that's pretty cool. One is a local project that I picked up off the road um, that turned out to be a gravid female and laid some pretty cool babies, and um, it's kind of proven out if that's going to happen some more. So. Um, cause I was able to raise up one of those males, breed it back to the mom and, uh, we'll, we'll see what that turns up. I'm really excited about that thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's what's been right. going on here. So. Okay. Uh, so yeah, to introduce our guest, uh, we have, uh, Will, your last name is McClure. Is that how yeah. you pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, McClure. That's good. All right, cool, man. Uh, yeah, man, we're, we're glad to have you on. Thanks for being patient with us and everything like that. Well, Alan gets set up in his new basement. Um, you know, uh, you know. Just to start off, man, I know I've uh, I've talked to you quite a bit, and you, uh, I've seen you know some of your uh, your YouTube stuff and things like that. And I, we've kind of been friends online for I think the last year or two. Um, uh, tell the world what you're about, man, and what 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 you do and things like that. What you, what got you into reptiles or monitors? Yeah, man. Special thanks to to Alan and Kai first off for having me on the podcast. I've been a, a longtime fan. I actually used to come into work early when I was like seventeen and hide an AirPod underneath my headset just to listen to the podcast. So that's, that's <laughs> like oh, so. Wait, I never, that's, you're like twenty uh, years old right now. I'm nineteen. Oh dang! Yeah. You look a little bit older, bro. That's what everyone says, man. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't get caught though. So that. So that's good. But wait, like wait, they wait, said, wait! You got. You got to tell me. What kind of headset? What were you supposed to be doing where you had this headset? Okay, listen. Under? So it was – I came in for the early shift, right? So I, so I came in at like 6 a.m. because I was doing school online at that point because of COVID. Um, so I was supposed to be just watching the cell checkouts, like monitoring everything because I worked at a grocery store. But there was not really anyone in the store. So I would keep it on until about 9 o'clock when people would start coming in. Then you guys would finish. Then I'd just go back to doing my job, you know? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was committed, man. Committed to the grind. Yeah, man. Good stuff. But but yeah, like they said, my name is Will McClure. Um, I'm from Maryland. You can find me online on Instagram at Mr. Will Exotic, on YouTube at Will Exotic. I'm just a, a monitor lizard and reptile enthusiast. I've been keeping and been obsessed with reptiles ever since I can remember. I've been keeping them since I was probably like six or seven. You know, your basic anoles, your toads, stuff you'd find outside. What really got me into monitors was I was reading a book about dinosaurs and, and birds and that kind of stuff when I was young. And I saw a big um, ghouled eye, a big, big ghouled eye that was yeah. depicted. And I saw that and I was like, that's what I want, right? Because I was a big dinosaur kid. So I saw yeah. that and I was like, this is the closest thing. So that's how I kind of got into it. And then it just kind of 
grew and grew to where I am now. It's mainly just keep monitors. Nice, man. Well, dang, it's, it's like I, I didn't realize you were that young, bro. When I was talking yeah, yesterday, man. I thought you were kind of like maybe in your later 20s or even in your 30s. But That's what people say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you good to, be, to admit to, a lot of people, I mean, I know there's a lot of young, um, you know, uh, internet sensations and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, to do kind of what you're doing in the, in the like, like that, that mangrove monitor YouTube that you made, right? That one was pretty good. Like, Thanks, I, I felt like that was pretty, really professional. And it got down a lot of information on, on things, especially like the stuff that most people don't really acknowledge about mangroves, you know? So yeah. that was, I, I, I and I, to be honest, man, I don't ever like, uh, I don't ever watch YouTube's that often, yeah. you know. And for me to sit through the whole thing and listen to it all, it was, it was pretty good. It means uh, a lot, man. Yeah, I try. I try, yeah, I try and bring good. some some good information. Just obviously, I'm super passionate yeah. about monitors, so I try and bring as much informational content, but still in a way that's easily digestible to people, entertainment wise. Because obviously, yeah. with the TikTok and everything, everyone just wants to scroll. But right, right, yeah, man. It's kind of leaving. Uh, uh, it's more of like a quick sensation rather than like an yeah. educational, right? Yeah. Right. And so that's where, uh, that's where I find myself like, dang, I like TikTok because it's, you know, it's, it's quick fun. Right. But mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, and they, you know, they get messages across people. I learn stuff from TikTok all the time, but it, you know, then you can scroll quickly to the next thing where YouTube it's, it's like, you're there to learn about something often, you know, like, yeah. like if I, let's say one of the, one of the, to plumb my sink something you'll learn it on youtube you know what i mean yeah. something like that right Thanks. um but yeah man to get to where we are today for this podcast i really thought it was a great idea um it all started with a facebook post from another gentleman i think he's from the uk and um basically asking about how other people cool their monitors down whether it's you know by heat or by food or humidity and things like that and and uh i basically offered uh um, Will because he you know he said that he was following the post that post didn't really go very far as far as people throwing in information and stuff like that so you know I basically volunteered a hey, Will if you know if you feel like you need help or you want some guidelines on this I can definitely I can definitely help you out you know and so that's where we're that's why we're here today I felt like it was not just the conversation that me and Will can have but I guarantee that thousands of other monitor keepers that may listen to this will at least, you know, catch the drift on what we're doing. It's nothing new. It's not, it's nothing new to the whole um, reptile world because, you know, North American breeders and things like that, he'll be back. North American breeders and stuff like that have already been doing this for tortoises and turtles and, and uh, snakes and stuff like that. They'll cool down a, a whole rack. And in a sense, will it's monitors, it's not exactly like the brumation and the hibernation that people are doing with the snakes and turtles where they go under and they're not fed at all for months, right? Because if you fed a snake like that, it'll likely have uh, rotten food in its stomach, you know? Mm-hmm. For the monitors, I want to be clear with this. When people try to do this, they're still eating, but only maintenance food, maintenance feeding, not so much as uh, – as, um, going completely empty you know what i mean so i don't want you to think like oh we're going to be cooling them down and and they're you know they're done right it's uh it's going to be a thing where you're paying attention to them and and things like that so 
to start off, you know, I uh, I really had trouble figuring this out myself because, you know, contrary to what we're, we're talking about now, a lot of people have always kept monitors, like especially Indonesian ones, mm-hmm. hot and humid all year round, right? All year round where, you know, people say, hey, it never gets below 70. The humidity is always high. And, you know, if you, you know, look at Google weather and things like that, um, you know, the temperatures are always quite high, which is which is oh, true okay. in a sense, you know, which is true in a sense. So, um, you know, when you have when you have uh, those contradicting things and people like there's not to say stuck in their ways, but that's the the that's how they learned. You know, that's how yeah. they, they 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 gathered information and no one's to blame. It's really just, you know, you're looking at Google weather or or um, Google Maps weather or stuff like that. And and, you you know, you look up Solomon Island and it's quite warm um, and raining and stuff like that. But, you know, you don't really grasp the the microclimates that the monitors deal with. You know? sure. And so that's where that's where we're going to get into here. For myself, I used to keep them hot and humid and basically running like uh, at 100 miles an hour all year round. And in a sense, it, it'll work a little bit, but I find when I cool them down and I actually do things with them that are quite different than the norm, I get the best results. Um, now, going going back to what I was saying earlier you know, I, I had to kind of fight against the grain with everybody saying, Hey, you know, that's uh you shouldn't do that. You know, you don't, don't do that. Or basically don't even try it. Cause you know, these monitors are kept really hot. So figure out a different way to get them to cycle. Right. And when even like people that used to teach me before, they're like the hardest thing for to breed mangroves and the Indicus complex, which is one of the hardest mangrove species to breed. Not not just mangroves and indicus itself, but the whole complex is quite difficult. You know, mm-hmm. like tricolors and dorianus have been proven almost impossible to breed. You know, not very much success there. Uh, peach throats, I think, it's still um, Mike's monitors that are yeah. reigning supreme. Where yeah. and he did that decades ago almost, right? And so that's what you know triggered me, and that's why I like the indicus stuff because you know they're quite difficult. They're more of like a a like mind thing. Yeah, it's really it's really tricky, right? And I essentially went with how another gentleman named Dave Urbanowix and he breeds white throats, right? And he's like, Well man, you know, the weather out there when you're looking at Google, that's gonna tell you one thing, but if you were to ask Indonesian people themselves, you know, they have a wet season. And then they have a dry season. It's not just wet and humid and sunny all day, all year round, you know. And so what I learned is in the time of our summer, May, June, July, that's their dry season. And when essentially when there's when it's dry season, there's no rain clouds. And so what happens is all the heat and humidity escapes so fast. And that's when they get the coldest nights of the year. And so, you know, going going into depth with that I utilized that and applied that to my enclosures now I was keeping Kimberly's and I was keeping other stuff too and I kind of put them through all the same things and I got great results from it so dwarf monitors 
the harder to breed dwarf monitors that are in those Indonesian islands, like Offenbergai and Chimarensis and Similis and whatever else that's out there, um, that prove quite hard to produce, have been doing pretty well with that that alone. It's just kind of cooling them down. Now, you know, it's uh, it, it's still tricky to some people where they have to understand how to do it. And you know, that gentleman had a list of what you do. And I, I do all of them. I do the food triggers, the humidity lowering, the photo period going from 14, 16 hours a day to 8 to 10 hours a day, um, the temperatures going lower. And I can get down to the very details like the food is when you're normally feeding every four, five days out of the week, right? And you're feeding quite often. I only – I, I – then decrease it back and go from four, five times a week to then two to three times and then to only one time a week. And this is a stretch for about two to three months. So you can go as long as four or five months, okay? And that's where I find that it's uh, – that alone is, isn't is enough for me. So I then also lower the temperature <coughs> because if, if they're also – you got to think about it like this. If they're not eating a ton, there's no need to have a ton of heat making mm-hmm. them making them digest so fast. Sure. Okay. So, so whatever temperatures, let's say you're using 140 surface temperatures, right? I then dial it back down slowly to then get to about 100 degrees surface temperatures. It'll be roughly maybe 80s and high 70s and maybe even low 90s right by the basking area, but they can't get extremely hot where they can metabolize so fast. So not only does the food decrease and then the temperature is decreased. Okay. Now when you're doing that, also the humidity goes down. So you, let's say if you're at 70, 80% humidity, I take it down to about 40, 50% humidity. Okay. And then you can, your pockets will be even lower in different areas like 30 and things like that. So don't be, don't be scared to go low. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it'll, you know, don't also put them in a shock by just going really hot. And then the next day, extremely cold, you know, you want to mm-hmm. go down. If let's say you're doing a three month period, you know, by the first month, the middle of the first month, you've gone down slowly by the second and third month, you've then reached your lowest points okay so you kind of get you, you're 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 still with me right you're, you're, you're yeah you're, no i got you yeah okay cool yeah. now um I, it's it's because like, it's quite a bit when For you're sure. doing them all no you know what i mean and so yeah. now then you're I'm, photo, up, I'm still trying to you know and <laughs> you're, you're, off for a second. <laughs> your photo your photo period too you know um same thing uh there's no real need to have a full-on day where you're having 14 16 hours of basking uh, and then you you know you take it down to then twelve hours and ten hours and then it goes down to like about eight hours and then I that's my lowest point is roughly about seven or eight hours of them getting the ability to bask still metabolize a little bit and then you're gonna feed maybe once a week to just maintenance feed they're gonna get so lean all mm. right so lean now the reason why I get them so lean. Obviously, I'm trying to trigger them, but when it's a necessity to visually see that they're going through the reproductive cycle, an animal comparable when it's fat 
and then versus when it's skinny, it's so much easier to tell when they're cycling, when they're when they're mm-hmm. leaner. And so also at the same time, you then let's say if you're you've done all this for three months, right? And then you let's say it's March, and then March, April, May, June. So let's say at the end of May, beginning of June, you then add the quail chicks and eggs and you know day old chicks or mice or whatever you're feeding right whatever you're feeding has then changed it's gone back to the normal mm-hmm. four or five times a week and then those calorie bombs that they need essentially that's essentially the ratio of calcium the ratio of fat like the the yolk part of the chick mm-hmm. and then the protein that comes from all that is essentially what they they need. Okay, it's not just fat. So that's what triggers them to go into vitellogenesis is the mixture of all of those different things at the end those, of the cooling. Yeah, those okay. those three things, and it's it's taking fat, right, Alan? It's taking fat, mm-hmm. and then you're taking those and turning those into ovum, and okay. uh, you know that that's where the, the 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 follicles build up and stuff like that. Okay. okay. So I do have I do have one question, kind of going back to what you were saying. So you said you've implemented this stuff with like species that are like tropical Indonesian stuff as well as like sub semi arid African as well as you said Australian stuff too right right now the Australian stuff I did with just the Kimberleys but if let's say your fertility isn't so great your your females shooting duds then it might be a thing where you offer that and in Australia as well there are some places that get down very cold yeah there are some places that snow you know, in Australia. So not to say that monitors are there. It's just the temperatures. When you think of Australia, it's not always yeah. hot and blistering, you know? I was, so, you I was, know. I was thinking like, so those microhabitat species like the, the, so say we'll take a Kimberly rock or, or a pill bar or something like that. Right. Right. So like obviously in their microhabitat, they're getting more humidity, correct? Yeah. Than they are outside. So how would you kind of go about if you wanted to use humidity as a trigger or, or temperature as a trigger where it'll be cooler inside their rock crevice because I'm coming at this from like – so I keep pilbarensis, right? And right. so trying to perhaps implement some type of cooling, what what do you think would be the best way to go about that in terms of making a, a cooler, drier habitat even even though they mostly live in a microhabitat and their outside humidity is already pretty low? You know what I mean? You kind of – right. So if, if that's the case, then you might just do the photo period, the temperature, and then food. Okay. Go, go low on those. Basically, it's, you know, me and Alan joke around. It's kind of like us neglecting them. We're not. <laughs> it's just, you know, we're, we're not giving them full on f- food every day. We're not making them really fat. So if you it's give yourself. neglect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, measured neglect. So, you know, it's, it, it's it, it, when people think like, dang. You don't feed a whole lot during four or five months of the year, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm basically. There's no reason for me to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not breeding, and I, I don't want them to produce all year round. You know what yeah. I mean? I want them to give me a couple clutches, something like that. That's safe. I don't want to keep having them go back to back to back to back because then, then it's rough on the female. You know. Yeah. Um, so, give it, give it a try. Some people just do one thing. Some people, bro, they don't do a thing at all. Yeah. They just don't fight the winter. They let the cages yeah. kind of go down. They don't feed a whole lot, you know. And, and but some people like me, I, I'm trying to 
trying to test this on my own animals. So what I'll do is instead of just doing it in the winter time, I'll also do it in spring and then I'll do it in, I'll do it in okay. summertime. And I've then, I, cause I have so many different pairs. I'm trying new different things with each of them right. and seeing kind of which one works best. And right now it's, it's just finishing spring. And what I've been doing is I just cut out most of my lamps and they've been basically locking, breeding, doing a whole bunch. I have a gravid female right now from utilizing this method. And essentially, I have typically three floodlights, right? I'm only using one now. Okay. I'm only currently using one. And it's it's on the norm. It's not it's not regular. It's it's, you know, not enough basking and and you know, it's just one bulb where they should have, you know, coverage of the whole lizard, right? Those are all the regular normalcies that we recommend for people. But when it comes to the breeding and I'm trying different things that aren't normal, um, I, I want to stress this out where it's a thing that uh, it, we're just trying it. We're trying to see yeah. if I can get the colder temperatures to basically have the follicles build up more. Uh, the animals come out a little bit more. And quite frankly, to, to say the truth, I feel like I was keeping them too hot because now that I, I've lowered it, they're out more. The This male, he's so much less, like, hectic, you know. Um, he's letting me pet him. He's coming out, and he has a normal routine rather than coming out quickly to bask and then disappearing, you know, which is great because then – He's active more. He does a lot more. He essentially is out for me to visually see him being more rewarding, you know. Um, and so it's a it's a thing where now this animal has changed so much that I feel like, dang, I've been keeping you too hot. I think, you know. Yeah. And he comes out. He comes out whenever the lamp, the lights go on, and he'll bask for a little bit, and then he goes and does his thing, and then he'll come back to basking instead of. Him, I, I felt like I was keeping him so hot that he wasn't doing a thing, you know. Um, now, why I started doing this? Because, bro, I've, in the last two years or whatnot, I've gotten 30 or 40 coli clutches, wow. right? Like I'm talking, but none of them were fertile. Mm-hmm. Maybe last, last year, 2021... I hatched out one egg. That baby died in like four months. And then this year I hatched out one more, you know, I've gotten a ton of clutches. I swear, like easily 20 to 30 clutches within 2020, 2021 and 2022. And so many of them were infertile. The females are great. They just doing their thing. But I had to figure out why, why all the breeding, but no good eggs. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the truth here, you know. Um, so I had to figure out, OK, his 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 log is up high. His log is where his favorite log is, where it's at. It's like 80, 90 degrees. So I took it and I moved it to the very coldest part of the cage. So he has to be around 70 degrees now, you know. So um, this is more for the male then. Like this cooling is for the female as well as the male's fertility. As you think the it affects. OK, and, I didn't and, expect like, that. And as Alan, as a snake breeder, he'll tell you himself that a lot of people cool down their their colubrids and ball ball pythons and other snakes, you know, to get 
good fertility out of the male and female. You know. Okay. I didn't um, see. I didn't expect that. I did not expect right. the males to Alan, have that you, big of an impact. You still do that uh, quite a bit with some of your pythons and other snakes. Yep. Yeah, um, so I, I feeling that they they adjust to wherever you're at to a certain degree, but there's still the temperature fluctuation. So like um, the gopher snakes, those are snakes that are usually um, you have to cool them down to get any kind of reproductive success out of them. Same thing with uh, bread lie are well known for that. Like you gotta, you gotta cool them down into some guys have trouble getting them cool enough uh, below like 60 degrees where other keepers are putting them into like the, the upper 30s I've even heard to uh, yeah. 40 degrees. Yeah, we're and, talking uh, cold, cold. Yeah. And uh, I haven't taken monitors that low, but I have taken monitors into the lower 60s um, to try to accomplish the same thing. Now, all the years before this, I've had plenty of um, um, success with stuff. This year's a little off, so I can't say this year with the changes and everything that's going on. Um, but it was the intent initially to, to drop everything to a certain degree. And then, uh, sometime in the winter, I actually ended up bumping a lot of temperatures up. Um, so there's a few different reasons for that. I've gone through it in some of the, the other podcasts, but, uh, some of it was, um, um, I'm, I'm learning that a mixture of species, having all the snakes and, and monitors in the same area can be a little hectic with trying to get the temperatures right for everybody and who's doing what on what schedule. Because um, some things are like uh, winter breeders for the snakes, some things are spring breeders. Um, so, you know, I'm still figuring out s- some of the key components for where I'm keeping things. And now I'm changing that all up by moving things a little bit. But, um, um there is, yeah, I've had some good success with cooling down um, different animals in the past. Um, and it's something I'm going to try to get. Like, I, I probably have a lot more to add next year once I have the animals and new setups here. But um, as far as, like, the sand monitors, I've cooled the sand monitors. Now, what was interesting was that the female, she was resistant to it. She wanted to be under the basking lamp that I still had. Um, and she wouldn't move the entire day. She just sit under the basket lamp where the male went down for a couple months. And every yeah. opportunity, she would feed as much as she could because I was still feeding her. If she wanted to be under the basket lamp like that, she'd, she'd come running out of the cage for food. You know, I would feed her up. But now I'm trying to do – it seemed like I was trying to do two different things in the same cage where I was trying to keep it warm enough for her to digest this food because obviously she wanted it. And for a while, it was like she was not gaining any weight and I was – just putting food in there. Um, but the male, he was trying to go down at the same uh, time in the same cage. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with the infertility because maybe in the future what I need to realize is or what I need to adopt is even if it's a small like holding cage, if it allows him to go down to a temperature where he wants, especially if the, the female in this situation is doing the same thing where she wants to, for whatever reason, feed up and and put on some weight, get some reserves in her body, and the male wants to go down, then maybe I need um, two different cages. Because even in an eight by you know six uh, type of walk-in cage, it's still not enough space to accomplish both of their needs at once. So uh, that was one thing that I kind of saw going on. And so, you know, it's making me think, especially with this last infertile clutch. But um, 
definitely easier to do with the smaller monitors than it is with some of the larger monitors. And you yeah. know, um, indicates aren't small like everything Kai keeps. They're not. They're not huge. They're not water monitors, but at the same time, they're not small. Um, yeah. So you know, these are some of the little. What we get to thinking is like, okay, I tried this, I saw this, and then we'll talk about it, and or we'll talk with other people about it and uh, share this information. You know, as far as okay, what did you see here? What did you do here? You know, um, and so that's something I'm gonna uh, in the back of my mind is oh, I was I was seeing two different attitudes out of two monitors in the same cage. So was I just. I, maybe I was riding that line and I didn't really help anybody in that situation. You know, she wasn't hot enough or she wanted to put on a lot of weight or, or feed and get those reserves going or whatnot. And maybe he wasn't cold enough at the same time. So, um, but I have used it in, in some dwarf monitors. Like I've, I've turned the lights totally off on some, uh, some of the dwarf monitors from time to time. So they're just riding at whatever the ambient is in the room, which is about low 60s through the winter. Yeah. And then I've left them there for a month, I think. And, um, and some people only do it for like a month and a half, two months. Some people do it for uh, a person that uh, her name is Linnea and she breeds savannas, right? Well, uh, she did her first clutch. I think she basically kept them from a ton of food and high heat for like mm-hmm. five or six months. And they laid, I think, three or four different clutches literally like yeah where she was had she had so many savannas you know mm-hmm. um hatching out and basically she was considering just culling some of the eggs because it's so much to keep up with so yeah. you know um you know cody does it with his tree monitors um vanessa crutchfield they keep theirs outside and they let them be exposed to those 50 degree nights and 60 degree nights without a problem and you can see her success rate, you know, yeah. just about every every clutch. Oh, you, you bring up a good thing because, um, you know, in some of these same areas, you're seeing uh, or you're, you're hearing these horror stories like Florida with iguanas falling out of trees from freezes and everything. Now, we're not saying the area they're at where it, that it's actually freezing, but um, yeah. when cooling animals, um, I think it's important that you make sure that the cage isn't wet. Like we we're talking about humidity mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, bring that humidity way down. You don't, yeah. Humidity kills in, in cold temperatures. Yeah. Cooler temperatures, yeah. humidity will kill. But also, uh, you don't want a lot of airflow. So if you have, if you're rocking a screen top or something uh, during that time, uh, that can be fine. If they have like a deep layer of substrate and they've got under there, then there's no problem with the airflow is, yeah. issue at all. But if you still have like fans circulating uh, air in the room. Plus screen tops, plus not like they're just hiding in a log somewhere. Uh, you might run into some problems because that draftiness is going to affect the animals, and it's actually going to suck some of the moisture right out of their skin. It's where yeah. in the wild, if they can get to somewhere, even if it's cold, but they don't have airflow running over their skin that's pulling the stuff out, uh, pulling water out, then um, yeah. you know they're they're going to do probably fine. You're going to have to experiment for your your own and as brave as you want to go, but. Just a just one of those things you want to remember before you run into a bad situation. On humidity, so I know like obviously Vanessa and others that keep theirs outside in terms of just tree monitors, they're being exposed to these cooler temperatures. But I wonder how how low or how high the humidity is going on those cooler nights. Because I know I, I've I, heard- I I would think that it gets cool. Like it, it gets cool, but the humidity is also 
lower. It's just not yeah. like a hot blistering day. No, you know? no, I wouldn't assume yeah. that. But I've heard with people with tree monitors, like one of the one of the main problems that they have is like a, a very sudden switch in humidity that can cause issues. So I right. haven't heard like how low people would drop Prasinus complex stuff in terms like when you're cooling them. I don't know how exactly how exactly like low do you drop that humidity? And I know it's oh. less misting and it's more ambient, right? I would assume. Yeah, right. And it so let's say if your cage has great soil at the bottom, right? And for anybody that is maybe confused about what to do in the simplest form and the way to explain it, stop spraying, stop feeding, and maybe only have one lamp on. That's kind of how you know, it, in like to explain to somebody that just wants quick directions, right? But yeah. you'll you'll eventually go where you know you notice that your cage is you know seventy percent humidity. Man, if you stop spraying it for weeks, which is the intent purpose, you'll notice it gets down to fifties and thirties without a problem. And then you'll have pockets, which is which is safe to say to still kind of have. But it's just not so dense in humidity. You know what yeah, I mean? I understand, um, yeah. Well, the, the combination is cool and dry and hot and wet or hot and humid. Those yeah. are the combinations. And so if you have it wet, wet and cold, then that's not the greatest combination. And then too yeah. dry – and too hot is also, you know, that yeah. also is disastrous as well. Yeah. Especially for the tro- the tropical stuff. I don't see – now you're saying that I don't think I'll have a problem because in the enclosure I'm building for these tree monitors, it's eight feet tall, right? And I'm going to have like a 20-inch substrate lip. So I think it will yeah. give me the ability to be able to actually like stop Bro, spraying and right, like that, yeah. that humidity is going to leach up especially. Well, and also, okay, now where we get into – balance right mm-hmm. um my one of my mentors told me that when you figure out how to heat the bottom part of the enclosure and create that balance because if all your heat is up here mm-hmm. and then nothing heats up the the soil at the bottom because that that has that let's say the mass right that mass of moist soil if it just sits at the bottom and you got it on a basement floor it's that that floor and the bottom of that cage there, it, it's going to absorb that that coldness, and mm-hmm. so you actually just have stagnant soil that might be like sixty and seventy degrees, and then it creates very little humidity. It'll be wet, but yeah. it's not going to create humidity. So, for me, in my enclosures, I have heating pads, cane mats, and Sorry, you know dog blankets or whatever else, right? And they're they're side mounted whether they're on the inside or the outside of the cage. Um, if it's really thick wood, like about almost an inch, three-fourths to an inch, the cane mat is on the inside of the cage because it can't penetrate through that much wood. I took a on page the, out of uh, you and Mike's book and I did the cane yeah. heat mat. I'm, pl- I'm planning on doing that another one on the tree monitors as right. well, and, and bumping then off the ground. If, see, and then if, if, your, if your wood enclosure is thinner plywood, I just have a big heat mat on the outside – and it's just a regular Zoomad heat pad, one on the outside at the bottom on the side, and then one on, one at the bottom underneath underneath the enclosure. And the obviously the thinner plywood has to be mounted onto a frame to be sturdy. Yeah. 
for sure. So it, you know, it can't just be it can't just be thin plywood because that'll just bow and bend and break and all that. So mm-hmm. you know, I have a couple enclosures that were built in different ways of how whatever I can afford at the time, and you know, one was built before the wood went up, and then one was built <laughs> after the wood went up. You know, so yeah, um, I feel that it, it, it's uh it's one of those things where. You know, it's just at the time, and I had basically I just thought quickly on my feet. Well, damn, this wood is too thick. I'm just going to mount it on the inside, and so mm-hmm. I have, I mounted the cane mat on the inside, turned it up to medium because they give you a real stat, and then you can also buy a thermostat. That's and, what I did. Um, so the idea is to heat up one section, and you can keep that part moist. Now, when it's dry time you might not need to okay so you just let that go and then when it's time to utilize your enclosure um, hopefully you got different options of nesting where they don't go there but they might nest there okay because they they feel like the temperatures are good there the humidity and everything like that is good and like i said again when you learn to work from the bottom half of your enclosure you know because most people is super decorated up top it's got you know great lamps and logs and it's gorgeous up top but dang at the bottom it's just a water dish and flat dry bedding Mm -hmm. you know once you once you learn how to utilize that and heat up the bottom part with with good usage of whatever heating material you use and that will raise up itself it'll go up and you won't have to miss at all. Yeah. Guess how many times I miss my enclosures? A week. <laughs> well, one time a week, I would guess, probably. Tw- once or twice. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Yeah. It's I remember you guys t- talking about that in the in the Kimberly Rock episode. You don't yeah. you don't want to continually have them be in contact with moisture, right? It's more of right. an ambient leaching humidity. And so, and yeah. if you can, if you can have the soil moist and that that saturates the air itself Mm -hmm. there's no need to then go and spray so that's why people spray a lot is because maybe they're trying to have a balance Mm -hmm. but what they're also doing is adding unnecessary wetness it's all about that deep substrate that's what i was learning from frank frank Reedus preaches on that all the time he's super pro like just deep substrate i actually ran into so before i heard you guys talk about that i was doing that with my pilbaras right because it was like 10% 10% humidity in the enclosure because yeah. I had a screen top is when I was newer with them. And so I was spraying and spraying and it was in contact with this damp soil, right? And right. eventually it got to him to the point where he was getting some scale rot on the bottom of his, his tail. Yeah. Like yeah. So I, I had to change the method. And so I went with more of a deep substrate with the, it was humid and moist, but I put a dry layer on top, right. like yeah. you guys were saying. And I stopped Perfect. spraying, and eventually that humidity was able to leach into those little microclimates. So when he yeah. wanted to get to the 70s and 80s, he could go in there and he wouldn't be in contact with the water. But when he wanted right. drier, of course, he could come out. So, yeah. 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 And that whole balance, bro, when I learned how to do it, it's not easy. Okay. Because mm, no. it's, it's electrical and water yeah. and you know wetness so it's the obviously the combination to anybody it's like that's not smart right but you know if you're protected if you keep it a protected um heating material or whatever you feel like you're using and that is balancing out the humidity coming from the bottom raising up then it's a lot easier to work around but if it's it's a, a you know a very if the bottom half was not thoroughly thought about and mm-hmm. it's just you know they just plop soil in there 
threw a water dish on it and called it a day, well, then your cage is incomplete. So yeah. when whenever people come to me and they tell me, hey, like, what do I do with my enclosure? I tell them, put it up, caulk it and seal it, and then work on the bottom first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when you like right now, when you do your stuff, um, Will, and you are accommodating your blue trees needs, work on how you're going to do the bottom first, and then everything else just flows. Because then, obviously, you've already accomplished the hardest part. Yeah. But let's say if you decked it out and you did the top first, and you put on logs and you put on, you know, your heat lamps and everything else, but then you only left like a couple feet to work with. Then you're, you know, then you're subjected to just throw a bin down there and don't, it's not that it's the worst thing. Yeah. It's just, it's harder because then you now have to work around that, you know? Yeah. I'll run it than, by you guys to see if you have any suggestions. That's cool. Just, no, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead, so, man. Whenever, whenever yeah, you so feel like, like So what I've done, and let me know if this is kind of in line with what you guys do. So I've, of course, bumped it off the ground, right? Because I'm in an insulated garage. But, of course, yeah. the floor is going to be colder than the ambient, right? So I've bumped it up like six inches or so. So with the base, it's the most important, right? So I've started by – I put a pond liner in. So mm-hmm. I don't want any soil in color. Of course, I, I sealed the wood and everything. But I put a pond liner and a drain in. And then I'm going to do – like the drainage layer is going to be milk crates that I'm going to cut up. Right. Okay. And then screen top or screen like the window screening on top. Um, okay. And then I'm going to put the substrate in and then leaf litter on top. And I'm going to I'm planning on doing two cane heat mats on the side to keep that soil like not freezing cold. Right. So I right. think a mixture of the drainage, the heat and the depth of it right. sounds like it, it would be decent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in Maryland. So you snow, you get snow. Right. And it gets the floor yeah, gets like pretty, pretty cold. But it's in, the, the garage is insulated, though. It, no, the okay. floor won't get that cold. It's insulated. Nope. So it was like 60, 70 in the winter. Okay. Yeah. So here, like, here's an example. For you, it might work great that way. But for me, I actually have my cages touching the floor because it gets too hot here in California. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if I didn't have that cold floor of being 60 degrees or whatnot and I raised it too high – then the the ambient air in the room gets underneath that cage and then it changes the temperature but what i'm trying to do is i'm actually using the cold floor to to my purpose and mm-hmm. basically to keep my cage from getting so hot it's so like equilibrium I, almost with the heat I, I, right i'm i'm actually utilizing the cold floor and that's going to make my enclosure bottom 60 70 degrees when i need it and then the rest of the enclosure just blends in, you know. But let's say okay. if, if I didn't, you know, for, for me it works that way. And so that's why we always, even if we're teaching these things, we want to still recommend people, hey, like you have to also be considerate about your outside temperatures, your room sure. temperatures, your your how hot your summers get, how cold your winters get. And to be honest, bro, if, if you've seen everybody's success – not everybody, but a lot of people's, you know, like, hey, they, they're they like, hey, my monitor's just laid or, hey, my monitor's just, just hatched or they're doing this. It's all in around October, November, December, January, February, right? So many of us have, have had this – and that's the coldest times of the year. You know what I mean? And it has to, it has to mean something, you know? Um, so are you guys cold. making your enclosures colder around that time or is that when you're starting to heat them up? Because it sounds like it's not too dependent on like 
the time of year or more so the the when you decide to put them through the cooler? Yes. So you can manipulate it. Like me and okay. Cody, we, we manipulate it by changing. We can change the temperatures in the in the cage. But okay. some people don't fight the winter at all. They just let the cages naturally cool down. And as they come up, the animals do too. So like I said before, some people don't got to do nothing, bro. You know, they don't have to do a thing, but just take care of them. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, that makes sense. And, and they may not be doing any of the other stuff, but the coolness and the follicle building and things like that that the animal did at that time was beneficial to them. You know? Okay. So um, as an example, like um, – and I, I haven't talked to him about this or his approach, but we had a conversation – uh, Alex from Sin Container, and he now has a couple clutches of uh, Spencers. Um, so we were talking about this, and at one point we're like, you know, I think they'll do great over here in Northern California where we're at because the we get a, a cold enough winter. It's not like there's snow on the ground out here, but we get a cold enough winter, and then we get a warm enough summer. And um, if you've seen Spencer, if, if you've ever seen a Spencer's in person, a lot of the ones in the U.S. that you're going to see, they're fat. They're yeah, chunky. Yeah. A lot of them are big and overweight. And if you ever see pictures of them out in, in like, the, uh, the, the, what would you say, the, uh, the harsh black, point of their – Black soil? Their, yeah. When, when they first, you know, uh, <laughs> are waiting for that rain to happen, dude. <laughs> they yeah. Like they look, yeah. Are just a, a like the worst import you could ever hope for uh, <laughs> coming in, right? And so um, we're talking about that being uh, vital to them, and how this overweight um, business that you see is is actually hurting them. Um, but they're so ready to eat because they're this survival type monitor. That means survival to them. So. Back to what Kai was saying about uh, you know that, that uh, or calculated neglect, right? It's like, nah, you gotta you gotta starve this monitor. You gotta change the temps on them. You gotta cool them down, and then um, bring them back up. Do all those other key indicators when things are right. And so far, if I haven't talked to Alex like in a well, we've talked here and there, but not in depth. But um, it seems like if that's what he he was doing, it seems like it's working with the Spencers. Um, so um, yeah. You know, talk. Was there something else I was going to say? You were talking about the drainage layer and the, the mm-hmm. cold coming up from the bottom. Um, you can still use that cold if it's in the sixties, like you said, mid sixties. Uh, you can actually use that to your advantage to accomplish that cooling period without doing anything. If yeah. you're in that area, it's um, the option is have- there. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. worry about stagnant soil is my biggest my biggest fear with that. You know what I mean? I will say a lot of that in my experience is the types of soil you're using. And it might take a little bit of experimentation with that soil. So if you have a, a – and you, you'll have to – like whatever's available to you in Maryland, there's going to be some things that are the same, right? You're, you're going to have probably access to sand and some other things. Yeah, um, peat, top some soil, sort of stuff. Yeah. Those type of things. But you're going to have to mix up and see what drains better for you. So if you're getting those stagnant problems, you might have to add more sand into the mix. You might have to add something that retains moisture better if you're not getting the type you want, where every time you dig down, it's just dusty, you know? Um, I just – I add more sand and and it's hard to kind of just tell everybody this, you know? 
Um, not everybody people kind of like want like a set it and forget it type of it's deal. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. You know no. what you're gonna do, bro? You're gonna every month to to keep from the stagnant happening, and not only that, you'll be digging to make sure that it's good. You're just gonna dig it up, turn it, and turn it, yep. and turn it, and turn it. And I have to do that every other month. Every month, I'm doing that for a few purposes. Not only am I making sure that the soil is good for the female i'm making sure that it has enough water so that way i don't gotta really spray it you know what i'll do is i don't do a finger test because it's not not good enough but i do an arm test you know you dig down and you shove your arm down in there and and you kind of get a feel of how it is and if you pull out soil and it doesn't clump up well then you might have to add more water and you may find yourself at a at a balance and and you see like okay this is good I don't really need to do a whole lot for the next two months, right? And so that's where you get an idea, okay, every two to three months or every month and a half, two months, I'll then change it. I'll, I'll check it. I'll, I'll, I'll turn the leaves. Yep. I'll turn everything, you know? Um, and so for me, don't get me wrong, the drainage idea sounds really good. It's almost unnecessary. I mm-hmm. mean, for, I for, us with big, for us with big lizards, right, yeah. they'll dig right through that, you yeah. know? And I was going to mention for you to secure it so well that they can't, but even a tree monitor, I think it can get down there, you know? Yeah, it's it has an on and off valve. So if I want to drain it, I can, like mostly for excess water that would pool. But it's not going to be like drain where it will freely come through. If I need extra moisture to sit in, I can close the valve and it can do so. Oh, I get. I, I meant like the actual layer. The, oh, the, oh, okay. The, yeah. the, the, the plastic that you'll be using, right? It's yeah. What, you, what were you going to be using? So I just so, have a pond liner to protect the wood. That's just to protect right. the wood. But then but, what were you going to – Like milk crate? I was going to do oh, like milk crate. crate. Right? Yeah, so I uh, I honestly – don't don't get me wrong. I don't want to so destroy your idea. And your no, no, about no, no. It's, no. Uh, it's, uh, it's almost unnecessary for monitors and what you'll do with it. You know, just because not only can they dig through that, down that, and up – you know, for us, for us, his sand monitors and my mangroves – They'll be dead. They're like, oh, what? That's fun. Let me, let no, me no, for sure, me. for sure. You no, know? I was just thinking. I was just thinking, like, since it's, I've never kept tree monitors, but I keep Argus monitors or Argus monitor. Obviously, he's gonna dig that up. So I was yeah. wondering, like, do you think a tree monitor would go down that deep to dig? Absolutely, they would. Okay. I, yeah. My, they have the tree monitors. They would dig right down to whatever I gave them. The most I ever gave them, I think, was about twenty inches. Really? And, uh, I just don't. I just wouldn't underestimate them. You know? No, of I course. Wouldn't of course. underestimate them. But I get what you're doing, though. I get because yeah. it's so much moisture, and if you make it too wet, because you've already experienced that, right? Yeah. If it's too wet, then your animals end up with blisters and whatever else, and then the water, you know, the excess water runs through the milk crate and then goes down to the bottom, right? But th- and then that also like creates a smell. And a, a thing yeah. on its own, yeah. That yeah. that water yeah. sitting there, it's not it's not pretty. Yeah. So the, um, yeah, the reason I was thinking that is because two things. One, I'm sure you guys are familiar with like Chris Applin when he went to Batanza, the island, he noted the hardness of the of the soil. So I was yeah. thinking like, and and this was a lapse in judgment. One because you know if you give a monitor something to play with, it's going to play with it no matter if it's natural or not, right? Yeah. So I was thinking like, oh, they probably won't dig down there because they're not used to it in the wild. But you know, they'll if they see it, they'll they'll mess with it. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to take that into consideration for sure, guys. Second, yep. I want to do plants. Oh, I just got a cramp in my leg. Sorry. <laughs> I, just hit, I just hit legs before I came here. Um, <laughs> that was your first mistake, you see? Yeah, I know, right? Me and Kai did that. That was bad. But I want to do plants in the bottom, and I wanted to kind of plant it and make it kind of like its own living ecosystem. That's the idea I had with this enclosure. Yeah. Just because, you know, I like to be extra and make my stuff cool, right? right? Um, so how would you go about how would you, how would you go about that since I want to do plants in the in bottom? In the dry season, right? It, for yeah. With your plants being live, we don't use plants only because yeah. we'll have to, yeah. we'll have yeah, to that's, take that's them all out, you know? But if, like, let's say if, you know, you really love your plants, bro, and in your enclosure, because the plants only really, because at 85, 90 degrees, they'll die, right? They'll die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you'll have to probably find really sturdy plants, but then you get into the excess moisture, excess humidity. Or, and that was my reason for the drainage because right, it was right. kind of in that same thought process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, now, like when you're going through the lowest combination and you're at your very bottom, you might have to take the plants out because you know they'd either die, or if you you know if you were in love with those plants and you paid a lot of money. You might need to set them up in a thing and and then replant them yeah. when it's you know yeah. then it then it triggers the monitor itself because then it's back up to being really flourishing and and stuff like that. So I I that's why I, uh, almost 90 percent of us don't use too many plants yeah. is we can't keep them alive or the process of breeding and stuff like that just will kill them anyways. And this so is now, this is my first one I was going to try with plants, so it's kind of yeah. like. I'm, and I'm going to run the enclosure a, a while before I get the actual tree monitors just to kind of yeah. – t- so I guess it's kind of a test of what will happen. If they die, they die. You know? Yeah. Can't yeah. remove them. You know, we and, scale and, um, everything too. In our, in our heads, we scale everything to fit an enclosure um, or we have this idea how we want it to look like a, like a snapshot. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Like if you're out there, you have a whole um, jungle of this stuff to mm-hmm. grow. And so, yeah, so, for sure. If something got tore up, we wouldn't know one way or the other. Exactly. If something got tore up, and for a monitor when they're locked in there with only so much space, regardless of how big it is, it's still a cage. They do get bored. They do get destructive. They get you know, and it's not even. I can't tell you how many just light fixtures that I've had like hang for different reasons that I've had to replace the bulbs in because so annoying. Jumping, swinging from a light fixture. So annoying. Yeah, or I've had to pick them up off the ground. Um, and with plants, it's like if you can find – so you said blue trees, right? Was it blue trees? Yeah, but I, th- that's why I'm going such a big enclosure. I'm hoping that that would kind of make it – and like the, the very trafficked areas, I'm not going to put anything. So I'm trying to strategically plan it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So, But the thing is what you pick that – I had the same thought because I had, I had the blue trees in like a, a big walk-in enclosure. But what would you pick that would be sturdy enough that would provide the look you want? Because uh, a lot of times, we also when we think jungle, we think these big, like leafy plants, you know. But they're not very mm-hmm. strong. Is is the problem? No. A lot of those. Yeah. So you now you're into looking at like basically small shrubs, um, and they can almost be just as much headache if they're strong enough and they pro- provide a look and a, an actual hiding thing. And what do you do when your your monitor gets wrapped around it back then? Yeah. Especially a tree monitor that's using its tail 
And now you're in a battle with this monitor in the cage because you have to go hands-on for something. And you got to pull yeah. them out of this thing. Um, these are just the different thoughts or things we've ran into. No, for um, sure, for sure. If there's a way you can figure out how to do it, believe me, I want to too still, but yeah. it just hasn't made sense yet. I, it's I'm, it's going to be an experiment with experiment with me, man. Like like yeah. we say, like dude, they just monitors destroy everything. So I'm thinking, I got to find something sturdy enough and and kind of keep it out of the hot zone and out of their high trafficked areas. It'll be an experiment. Um, yeah, for for some so. for some plants, I feel like if you have them, if you have them in your 60s and 70 range, and and you're working from that point, and then they have that ability to stay at those temperatures. Um, I think they'll stay alive a lot longer than, you know, the other side of the enclosure or your hotter side. So I I recommend your big enclosure because I think it'll be allowing for optimum usage as far as you can make the hot side really hot, you know, 110, 120, 15 degrees ambient up there and then, you know, surface temperatures of 130, 140 or whatnot. And then all the way at the bottom on the opposite end, you know, then you're looking at your 60s and 70s, stuff like that. That's what I'm that's what I'm hoping is it'll kind of give me a big enough gradient to where I can find the area that these plants will thrive and not be kicked about. Right. Because I'm sure there will be some that will be torn to shreds and some they won't even touch, I guess, just because of where they like to be. But yeah. like I said, it's it's all going to be a big experiment. I'm sure you guys will yeah, see it. Yeah, <laughs> and you'll and you would want to. What you want to do is probably get onto some of those uh, um, the groups and basically ask, hey, like what plants do you guys use that are right pretty durable? Uh, I think Cody's got some in his enclosures as yeah. well. You know, and so they're like sword plants or type of plants, umbrella plants, things like that. Uh, That's I what myself, I'm going for. Yeah, I don't have the greatest green thumb with plants, you know. Um, and so, and, and, and yeah, really, really, it's just uh, it's just another thing to take care yeah. of. What I I, that's to. what I'm saying. That's what it, yeah. it's when this I, when I Yeah, when I don't need no. to, but yeah. but I do use my my leaf litter, and I, I let that you know change the look and the flow of the cage, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, it, it's. It, it, it varies on the plants on what you want to do. Don't get me wrong, man. Like I seen guys that I think there's the, I forget his name. Um, dang, I forget his name, but he's got a blue tree. And Is it a uh, Stuart? Uh, no, no. It's another gentleman that he's an American and he has a pretty heavily planted blue tree enclosure. Right. And, um, Oh, was uh, it Brad? Brad? Yeah. I think it's Brad. Yeah. That's my homie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I think he has, you know, a good idea on what plants you can use. I don't know if he's breeding, and to be nah. honest, man, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, I, I the whole the whole plant thing with with breeding, if it incorporates it, I don't really think it matters, you know. Yeah, just as long as your lizards are doing their thing, and then you know the plants might take a toll if you're really drying them out. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure if he's drying them out at all, yeah. you know. Um, so if it's you're no- you, you might find yourself, bro, where – because your enclosure in, in, incorporates all of the necessities, right? Hot and really cold. You might not need to do a whole lot, Will, at all. You know, where you might just kick the lamp off a little bit to, to get them cooler mm-hmm. and, and you know, not spray. 
so that way your humidity's down. But other than that, you might find yourself just keeping, and then they just do things naturally on their own because you know the cage is making them happy. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to give them every single type of climate they could want, right? So like warm, cool, drier areas, humidity pockets. Just trying my best to provide that for them. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's a. It's a, it's a. It's definitely a good thing to look at when when you're designing your enclosure now you know again work from the bottom seeing what space you have for stuff and then go ahead and, and decking out I, I really recommend you know doing the most that you feel like it but also you know try not to get ahead of yourself where the plants become more important than the no business. no of course not you know the plants are like, mainly just for yeah. human like just to right. look at and be like, oh that looks just nice look type at, thing. you know yeah and then if that's the case you could just get really nice fake stuff you yeah. know and then just put it up right it's not the same but but st- you know, still, it's one of those yeah. things that it gives the greenery look, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I try it, and my monitors just rip it down. Yeah, so it'll know, be an yeah. experiment. We'll see, yeah, man. Get, we'll see how I it goes. Stuff, I get stuff from Michaels every few months, and I, I just spent like because it's expensive for one of those ropes, right? And I, I bought, you know, I bet buy it for fifteen, twenty bucks, or how much ever they cost. Even when they're on sale, they're kind of still expensive. And, you know, when you got to buy like 10 or 12 of them, it gets costly. Um, but, you know, they I, I'll twine them up and I try to make it look, you know, nice and decent, but they just rip them down. Um, yeah. And so I just, yeah, I don't find myself uh, really successful with plants, even the fake ones, man. <laughs> well, one other thing I wanted to, to bring up as far as the, the soil in the cage or the substrate in the cage, and I'm going to do this here with everything coming home. Um, the... After using the cage for a while, using that substrate, you're you're gonna want to change it. You're gonna want to refresh it almost. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The way stuff gets broken down, um, monitor basically feces, urates, and whatnot. It's gonna make the soil more often than not, in my experience, pretty acidic in certain ways. So okay. um, <clears throat> after a while, it seems like they almost don't want to nest in that same soil. Um, I don't know. There's probably other people that have more experience with it than I do, but it seems like just like like other animals would like a certain healthy type of soil. There's they're looking for a certain type to nest in, but um, it just I don't know. It's something that I'm I'm starting to notice and catch on to. I've heard it from other people. I had a good buddy that uh, lived close by me, and he used the same soil for seven years, and then his animals just stopped like using that <laughs> that soil completely, where he had to change it all out. Um, and it was almost across the board. He kept uh, Ackies in like a huge colony type of shed. Um, and he ended up having to change everything almost at the same time. Um, so soil does lose, I, I don't know if it's nutrients or some kind of consistency. Maybe it's the, uh, the uh, biomatter in there breaking down to a certain point under it or what. But just as a thought, you, you'd probably be fine for a couple of years. But, you know, yeah. know that at some point... Oh, sure. if things aren't working out right, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just keep it in the back of your head. I might need to change that out or add Definitely. something to it. And and that might be true if you just continually add, like Kai was saying, like leaf litter, stuff that will break down almost like its own compost pile in and mm-hmm. of itself. Leaf litter itself with some moisture, as it's breaking down, the pH changes a lot. Yeah. So you'll, you'll you know, I use stuff um, from – from from Aubrey, you know the last guest that we had that also produced the the coli, 
Um, you know, congrats. Uh, uh, I've already congratulated him a million times, but you know, congrats to Aubrey on on getting a Absolutely. good clutch. You know, um, but but yeah, man, he sends me leaves right that they utilize. Um, they they love it. Whenever I get a shipment of leaves, I undo them and I, I just throw them all over the cage, and then I turn it and then I put some more in. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it it essentially feeds it, you know. And then I have powder oranges. I don't know if you're familiar with isopods, yeah. but but get yourself get yourself some, you know. Get your try to find a good good connect where you know they'll sell you like five hundred for a great price or something like yeah. that. And I got and some just backyard grays. Yeah, that's shake, what I use. I use the grays, man. Handfuls, you know, shaking handfuls. And me, like when I I love looking lifting up logs and lifting up water dishes, and it's like, dang, you guys are doing so good. It's like I, an ecosystem. It's yeah, so it's, cool. That's that's good. If the if the isopods are doing great, you kind of know your soil is doing good. So cool. It's actually awesome. it's fed nutrients. The nutrients is then taken from it, and then you know the waste is taken from it, turned into good nutrients. Basically, whenever bugs go through soil, they typically make it something good, a good compost. You know, yeah. a richer a richer compost. It's almost it's it's science. It's you know it's why people use feces from crickets and things like that and they they add that to their to their to their plants at home and it's basically i guess i don't know it's just high in nutrients for for the plants you know right and yeah it's just good compost and it's something to something good to good to think about you know when you're when you're going through your soil and you obviously want to make it a an incredible enclosure um don't yeah don't again don't get me wrong like Love the look, love the idea, and don't get discouraged by by what we're talking about as far as like we suck at plants and we can't keep plants yeah. alive. You know, do do it, try it, but yeah. also remember that you'll have to then the this look is gonna change. You know, For it'll sure. go from it'll go from greenery to like fall, you know, and there's no leaves and the colors of green and, and blues and purples have changed to yellows and reds and tan. Absolutely. You know, and and that's 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 the look that you kind of want. For me, in my island monitors, what I'm trying to 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 get a feel of is a sandy, dry beach look. That's because my island, my animals are from islands, and it's not like a paradise or whatever. It's like when you go into the the, the jungle a little bit, borderline the beach, and then you get that coolness. You know, it's shaded. There's a whole lot of, uh, of of sand and dry leaf litter and basically debris, and that's all dry, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and obviously your monitors aren't – they're island monitors as well. They may not be beach-going island monitors like mine are, but, you know, you'll you'll figure out a balance for yourself, you know? Yeah. yeah I did, so- go ahead. Go ahead, man. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's all about that that perspective, too. It's like we have to um, – there's there's different ways. Like maybe it's even for your own self putting plants, uh, if, especially if you're keeping monitor temperatures, the ambient just within the room. Putting plants within the room might give, <coughs> give you that same feeling and as opposed to in the cage because we see these pictures – you, you'll see like uh, you brought up uh, Chris Applin, but you'll see like a, a picture of a monitor somewhere, right, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the shot. 
usually the monitor is actually on the bark in a tree. Yeah. And what you can see in your peripheral, your mind's taking in the fact that there's green up the canopy. There's other smaller green plants, but the monitors aren't hiding on this this little palm looking that's true. thing. That's true. You know, but that's all in the background. So you, your perspective as a human, like you, you take all this in. So you're like, I want that. But if you actually look where the monitors are, they're on a sturdy brown gray, you know, that's tree dry. branch. Very know? true. And, and they're and they're basically sunbathing. So, you know, when they're basking, you know that they're slowly dehydrating or that 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 area that they're at, there's wind going and sun going. And, you know, it's not just a, at the, the pockets down at the very bottom, which are humid. It's way different up there. You know, that, that's why I'm trying to design it like like exactly like you said, Alan, like not totally like where they're going to be, like like have the plants around it to where those high traffic right. areas are those or is that bark and is those sturdy drier surfaces to where the plants are kind of around there creating that effect you know what i mean yeah 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 that's what i would i would go for if you're gonna do it go for that yeah absolutely and be prepared for the plants to die because it'll happen (laughs) they'll they'll kill them (laughs) yeah yeah shoot man uh, you got more questions as far as like the cooling stuff or what to implement or what questions you might be stumped on or yeah i kind of covered I had a couple. So one of them was on introduction of what you guys have seen with your introduction. So I know a lot of the time introduction is basically an established female in her enclosure and most people introduce the male. One, I wanted to inquire about like sometimes I've seen people do female into a male's enclosure, but not be as successful, obviously, right? Because she's not established. And then what what have you guys seen in terms of like separation or keeping them together? Because I know like all monitors are different. A lot of the Odashtra can live together more often than something like an Argus monitor, right? Most people don't keep them together full time. So what have you guys seen in, in your animals about that? Hmm. Go ahead, I Alan. almost everything. So yeah, I, yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm just kind of like, you guys are going to work it out. And yeah. it's kind of with like, Maybe there's a little arrogance in it. It's like, <laughs> I've met your other needs. I'll provide you food. Um, you guys work it out. But at the same time, there's been a couple instances where I've noticed one animal in particular is like um, just picks on, on other. I've noticed it a lot with, with uh, raise-up groups. It, more than adults is raise-up groups. And it, and it seems like it's, it's individuals. And you might just have an individual monitor. And it's just up to you to catch that in that monitor if they're one of those types that's just going to beat up on other animals. Um, I've noticed that with a, in a few different clutches of babies. It's like, well, this one animal is just picking on the rest. In fact, uh, I think that's what happened in a shipment. I shipped out a large amount or a good size group. And I think one animal, it was a warmer. I was shipping it to Florida. I think one animal was just in there biting onto its siblings and um, <laughs> causing some damage while in route. And I'm not there to separate them like I usually would be. So if it wants to just stay locked on, you know, and do the death roll for a whole shipment, it, it's like, oh, that, I hope that didn't happen, but it might have. Um, but as far as pairing adults, man, I've taken the chance. I've gotten two separate animals from two different areas. As soon as I knew they were doing healthy, they were feeding with me. 
and they were doing what they were normally supposed to do, I've paired them up and I've been successful. So um, I haven't had that bad experience to make me shy away from it yet. And even if I did, I would have to weigh it against all the other experiences where I've put things together and they've done fine. I would say even to this point, I'm still waiting for it, but the Dorianus, they've messed each other up sometimes, but it's not anything um, more than, I would say, superficial for monitors, mm-hmm. which is still somewhat bloody and will probably leave a mark or a scar. But um, in my mind, it's like, okay, well, that's it. And it's almost like you start noticing um, if something's too much, it's like clearly too much. Yeah. And you're not going to probably get to it unless you're in there 24 seven, you're probably not going to get to it in time anyway, which is the scary part. If a monitor wants to kill another monitor, it's probably going to accomplish it. Um, if a monitor wants to pester and bug and, or deter another monitor and say, this is mine, it's not going to kill it. It's just going to punk it and stress it out to the point where that monitor is going to stress out and die if you don't do something about it. But, um, like my sand monitors, oh man, uh, it, if I could tell you like some of the stuff they've done to each other, most people I would say will separate them and say they're they're not compatible. I mean, there's been times where the female's arm is just almost looks like it's split right in half, wow. and for a couple of days she's dragging an arm behind her. And I don't share this a lot with a lot of people, but. Um, because different people will have all kinds of opinions, but these are this, this is a proven pair of animals that within a week they're right back to whatever they were doing, you know. And it could be as as simple as the male was trying; she had a chick in her mouth, and the male was trying to pull her out from a hole she didn't want to come out of, and he was grabbing her by the arm and pulling her by that, you know. Um, so, man, I guess maybe that that's my. My view in my head, my experiences have led me to the point where it's like, if I don't see them going right for the jugular when I when I pair them up together, trying to you know rip that animal's throat out, then to me they're going to work it out. It's yeah. it might not be pretty, but they're going to work it out. And yeah. um, you know, we I think we try to be too controlling sometimes, and things are scary. Like like in Kai's uh, position, let's say I you got coli and there's only a few animals. It's like how far does a sane person let this go? Yeah. But it it's might hard, be what they need to work it out to get to the point where they're, they're not producing. So and, it's hard. And how, how far? Okay. So you got to understand <laughs> why, like, why I've kind of, why, like, I, uh, you know, like I, I work so immensely diff- hard with them. Right. And bro, it's not even the breeding. The breeding is so simple. Like it's a smooth process when it works, right? But all that beforehand, bro, they're like wrestling and fighting and and you know, the male's chasing the female. Sometimes the female's whipping his butt, right? And I, I what I would recommend is not to take anybody else's advice and just study your animals. Yeah, I like that. Then what what you're going to do is just play off of the interaction and the behavior like if obviously if they're you know if the male is too aggressive on the female or the female is really aggressive on the male or they just you know they they don't really work well together then you'll have to separate them and then only introduce when you know 
she is de- developing follicles. Okay. That okay. So essentially, yeah. that's the only time that you'll be doing it. And for me, in uh, three or four of my clutches, that's the that's the case. The case is they live in the cage together, but there's a partition, and then the partition. I have a I have a, a pipe that runs through the this little hole, right? It's a little square hole, and the pipe runs through both enclosures. The male can't fit through the pipe, but the female can, and she'll just go through back and forth whenever she feels like it. Most of the time, she'll stay on her side, but if she wants the male's attention and things like that, she knows to go right over. Currently, I've been really good with them not and him not beating her up, which is. Like I mentioned earlier, he's changed so much, but but I don't just take that as being like I get complacent and be like, oh, they'll be fine now, because they may not be when she he's trying to breed, she's not receptive, and then he bites her. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or she's nest guarding, and she, and and she just laid, or she's about to lay, and she's not having it at all, so she's gonna try to kill him. So if you're introducing your animals now. Tree monitors, don't get me wrong, many times they can be quite compatible, right? You've seen a lot of people keep yeah. them together, but that's not always the case. That's what I was going to ask. Nest, nest defensiveness, for nest one, I've seen that's a big thing. Right, and it's a, it's a major thing with females for sure because it's essential. You know, it's she's doing the motherly thing of protecting her eggs, and she thinks the male who's going to be opportunist and try to eat those, and then she's going to protect them. And so I, I typically give it about two, three weeks after she's laid to then undo the latch, and then she can go back over, right? But it's it's not always that case. And then I have a couple other monitors that they're okay. They have bites on them, but they're not like – it's a little tussle. You know, it's, a, it's something that they got – he got bit right here. And then it's just now a scar. It healed over within a day or so. You know, um, it's it's never never too bad. So I'm just like, hey, I'll take it for what it is. If it's too bloody and somebody's limping, then I'll then separate you. Now, all of my mm-hmm. enclosures are built this way now, um, except for the baby's enclosures. But for the adults, there's a partition in every enclosure. So when it's time for me to lock the female up and away or they're done breeding – She's on that side and he's on this side. For you, for you, if your enclosure is extremely big and let's say you don't design it with the partition, right? How how wide is your enclosure? It's four? five five feet across, oh, four okay. feet deep. So that's that's, that's pretty that's pretty decent. Um, if you design it with the a partition, you know, then I would say do it so that way you don't have to make another enclosure. But if you don't do it, and let's say you just leave it in there during the time of her laying or after, it can be pretty bad for him or bad for the female if he's too aggressive or bad for your results. If you're really trying to get eggs, but you left a male in there and he just ate them as she popped them out. Yeah. You know, so it's that's not always smart either. So you might have to have a separate little four or five foot enclosure that he just goes to on vacation. That was my plan. That was my you know, plan he, to do a he separate. goes on vacation, right? And then, and then whenever, you know, whenever you're ready, or whenever you feel she's ready, you put him back in. Um, okay. It's it it the reintroduction, bro. 
may not always happen and work out the same I've seen. as what it did before. You know, um, some females may be really honorary to the whole space now. Um, mm-hmm. And so you might have to change stuff around or put him in there for a while, let him scent it up, right, and put her in that enclosure, that the, the vacation enclosure for a little while, and then let them kind of get each other's get each other's feel again without the other one around, you know? Um, now, like I said, again, it's you're judging really on the behavior your lizards will be showing you. If you feel like they're okay and they're not tussling and, and fighting or, you know, um, and sometimes, bro, it might not even be nothing about fighting, but let's say food time, right? <sighs> food time sucks because he's so like a male he's basically gonna eat he's gonna be right in front of your face taking all the food yeah. and then she gets what you know leftovers she gets what she can as a straggler you know she's so shy that you gotta you know feed her in a little in a, in a tube or put her food in a tube um in worst cases you gotta take the male out feed her and then you know feed the male either in a separate place or let her get full put the male in and then feed him you yep. see how that it's not yeah. even aggressive yeah. it's just then it just doesn't dominance work kind of a little bit right almost. it doesn't work with the whole flow so if that's you know the case then you will have to then adjust to that some like for my i have like my jody right he's he's so dumb bro like he's just so, <laughs> so he's like i just you know i kind of swat him with the tongs i'm like bro go over there i'm trying Get to feed the face. female yeah. and so now what i do is i take him out and I put him in a, lo- a small enclosure that I have for all the males. Whenever uh, the male's not really getting along, um, I have a couple extra enclosures for for space, essentially, right? They're just empty to just throw a monitor into. Yeah. Let's say I need to ca- clean a cage or do something. I just put them in there. And what I do is I feed him in there now, feed the female up for – I just throw in food. I don't even wait there because there's so much to do, right? So I throw in food just for her. Whenever I feel like she's done, I'll then pull him out and put him back in the enclosure. And that's but picture doing that every day, you know, so it, it, it's tricky. That's why for me, I always recommend the partition or to have space between it. You can throw in a ton of food, but damn, that also means that the male is unregular, unregulated, and he's for just sure. eating so much yeah. that he's just mm-hmm. going to get fat anyways. And fat monitors don't breed well. And I've seen that was a problem in, in in someone that was actually keeping them. They were basically just unregulated throwing in food. And the male was getting it all. The female was getting next to nothing. And that doesn't bode well. So Right, right. Yeah. So those are those are some 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 uh, things you might run into. And not always is it like that, but it, it definitely is a possibility. And it's it's a high one just because I've seen it happen quite a bit. Males get really comfortable naturally. The females yeah. are naturally pretty shy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're not going to – they're more timid. They're they're going to wait, you know. So it's it's one of those things. Um, I'd Some ideas would be to have females be led into a tube and then she's fed in the tube, right? So the, she doesn't really get the attraction of the male to come over and then he's fed – and then you know you just take care of them quickly with with some bits and pieces and things like that you know um, I like it I like it one one thing I was uh, forgot to mention as far as what I do off and on season 
is types of food that I use during the 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 off season. Okay, so off season is when it's you know cooler, drier, less humidity, less photo period, and they don't get the the high calorie. So I was thinking. So I'm feeding bugs, shrimp, you know, crawfish, uh, fish, essentially things that don't have the yolk, the fat, the extra protein that mice, day-old chicks, day-old quail, um, you know, things like that would normally have. So when you're doing the the off-season part, they're eating the stuff that doesn't really make them fat. And, and they only get to eat once or twice a week just for maintenance, just to keep them from being anorexic, you know? And they get that. But then when you introduce those other things with high calories, it's like a, it's like a snap. It's, yeah, it's, that's the bomb. That's the calorie like bomb, and that's the fat bomb. And, and that's what we kind of call it quail, day old quail, or even the balut quail eggs that are mm-hmm. fertile quail eggs. If you find a guy local to you that breeds them, and can sell you them for cheap or you buy them from Adam's quail or whatever, or whoever you buy them from, you know, get, get, those are literally the, almost the best food that you can give them. That's what they're I've heard. Lean. Yeah. They're lean. They got full of the nutrients. If they eat the shell, great, you know, um, and essentially they're bite sized little, you know, perfect food items. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where you want to incorporate that and make sure that you've, you know, taking that into consideration because if let's say you are maintenance feeding them mice and rats and chicks that doesn't it, doesn't really yeah, help with yeah. they'll be hip to it already so it's like it, right. they won't even phase them we yeah. have small chickens they're called bantam chickens so the eggs are, are pretty small but i they're a little bit more fatty than quail is you know what i mean i mean it would yeah. still work but right. i think i want to i've talked to adam in the past so i think i'll probably end up going the quail egg route as well just just for variety as well you know Right, and it's uh, it's good enough to throw in a Ziploc bag, freeze it, pop out five, ten when you need them, defrost them. They defrost so fast, and you know you just you just use those as. Uh, honestly, man, if I can feed just that, and then I use my fish and crawfish, that's what I would use. But I have some, yeah. you know the animals are a bit bigger. If it was like a an Aki or the tree monitors, if I had them, I would utilize those a whole lot more um cool. but yeah man it, you know he goes to show from what you're feeding this to what you're feeding then you know and and it it, it works for me i like it yeah that it makes a lot of sense cool All right. um yeah, I, I had i had one more question that we can go to the the last yeah, section yeah. that you want to talk about i gotta ask because it's been pending on my mind for for months what are you guys doing about the the floodlight the halogen floodlight ban oh, other than stocking up we're almost not doing anything. No, um, I'm scared. I'm scared. We're, I really we're, am. We're at, the, we're at the mercy of. Oh, you guys are um, California too, so you guys yeah, are, right? Yeah, we were the first ones to get implemented, yeah. right? But you know, uh, I've been, I've been, I've been, a, I've been a criminal, man. I get stuff imported. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know rat. I ain't a rat, man. <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, you know, my my guys from out east, and I'm paying twenty five bucks a bowl because I'm, I'm not you know I, I I try not to be cheap for them doing my work you know so they're doing the footwork I pay them for the gas I pay them for shipping 
So, you know, and then the bulbs I'm paying for. So is so, it illegal know, to have them in California? Like you can't. I don't know if it's. No. I, don't, I don't think it's that. If it's that, it's just they don't want. Because I found a couple them. websites. I found a couple websites yeah. that ship. It says um, California not allowed to ship, right? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, I don't want to scare people and say we're just doomed because yeah. they're. They I'm just looking for make, alternatives. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. They so they make uh, okay. Let's say if your summer is really blistering, right? Our Arcadia makes soft white bulbs as well. Yeah, I like right? Arcadia. So they, I use all the UVs. Yeah, they make a uh, fifty watt and seventy five watt. They're they're still a floodlight, but they're not like the hard hard shell yeah. bulbs. They're the bulbs that John you see John use. Okay, they're the soft white floodlights. They're indoor floodlights. Now the outdoor floodlights are the hard shell bulbs where you can spray them and they don't break. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Those are also made by Arcadia as well, par 38, but damn, they get they get pretty hot. And I've already used the safe 75 watt and it gets pretty hot. So if you they feel get like expensive you can use, too, huh? Yeah, it's like 15 bucks a bulb. I mean, if you're it, it is double the price of a five dollar bulb from Home Depot, but man, what are you gonna do? Yeah, you know exactly, exactly. And if I'm paying, if I'm paying a dude twenty five bucks per bulb, Facts. I'm I'm okay with fourteen, fifteen bucks. You know, Facts. Um, now, now Zoomed has a splash guard uh, turtle bulb that yeah. comes in thirty five, fifty, seventy five, and one ninety and one hundred, something like that. So that's also another type of par thirty eight bulb. I think it's par thirty. And then par thirty eight for the very large ones. Um, I think so. And then so people are also. What happened, Alan? Oh, I was just going to add this in. It looks like they got fifty, seventy five, and a hundred watt four packs of bulbs from uh, Pangea. Yeah. Um, this is what I've been using in all my cages. I figured out how to use them because I could buy four packs of them. Um, and they're let's see, like forty bucks for a four pack. It's not bad. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, bad. I'm still getting them from them. They're um, so it's not the full size. I don't know if you guys can see that. Let me see. Oh, oh that's yeah, still decent. That's yeah, decent. decent. That's not that's bad. I'm still getting them. So and so okay. if you then, use them side by side, they work good, right? Yeah. Yep. Just need yeah, more yep, fixtures. Just gotta put more fixtures in. Yeah. So I've, I've even uh, messed around. So I bought some of those, and then there's like these little 35 watt uh or 30 watt uh halogen bulbs that kind of look like the uh the g9s halogens like um zilla uses those little ones but they're inside of a regular socket and they got a little mini dome reflector you can still get those as far as i know on amazon and they're just in there to supplement a little more heat uh for certain things like like i was in the winter in the summer i can usually run one of my um my dwarf monitor cages on 150 watt and it it's, seems to be working all right. So yeah, right okay. now I also have like um, one seventy-five watt in the sand monitor cage, and then along with another bulb, uh, and then um, <coughs> excuse me, allergies are killing me out here. And then a fifty watt, I think, with another bulb. No, no, no. I changed it to just one bulb in the Dorianus cage. And then I used two bulbs in the Savannah monitor cage. And I still got, man, I, I still got to get rid of that Savannah monitor. But everything's been crazy. It's been last on the list. So, anyways, it, I just remembered myself. Um, but so I'm using those bulbs, and they 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 work fine for me. 
You know, I wish the only thing I wish is that these incandescent halogens lasted longer. Of course, you know, because yeah. they were not. Yeah, the, the another combination somebody uh, told me about is using like a power sun or a mega ray. I use I use mega ray, and then next to a other bulb that's going to do the majority of the work for you now. Power suns and mega rays aren't that great of surface temperature basking because they don't they don't right. get that hot down, you know, down below a foot away. So comparable a seventy five the seventy five sorry the seventy watt mega ray next to a forty five watt floodlight the at the same distance the forty five floodlight gets a lot hotter for surface temperatures. Like it's reaching 130 with no yeah, problem. Yeah. While while the power sun or the mega ray only gets like 95, maybe 110, something like that's, that, right? That's what so I'm doing. Not, is not as hot, but I find the wattage well, doesn't really translate depending on different. No, it, it like doesn't. Different. It's the it's the actual lumens and yeah. and how the how the face of the bulb works. But um, deep heat projectors with uv bulbs that's what i've been right? doing i've been doing dp projectors i've experimented dp with an led to kind of still make that light area yeah and it's the the type of heat they give off is decent like i, I don't i don't dislike it right it's good it's a it's a strong the dp yeah. projectors are a strong bulb it's you different when you put your hand under it it's yeah. like you can feel the yeah. difference feel the heat right and uh they're i would say they're meant for bigger monitors desert monitors I use them for the dry my my thin skinned monitors, and it's too too hot. Even even I had to keep it like at two feet away, and even then at two foot it was still like one fifty surface temperature. So I was like, damn, these things are strong. And yeah. so I had to take them out because I realized if my monitors got got to, too close to that, they just burn. So I I, I had to switch up. Um, if they designed like a thirty five watt one. Because I just get so hot here, and how I use my bulbs, they're just uh, too hot at a hundred watt bulb, you know. Um, so, power suns and UV bulbs and all that stuff like that, next to a DP projector is what other people are recommending. Um, dang, what's another one? Uh, it's on the. T- I might be experimenting uh, with those DP projectors. Yeah, there's for a the there's a couple. There's they're a not couple they're not companies. bad. Yeah, there's like a couple them. companies. I think. The smart companies will recognize that, you know, or someone would message them and be like, "Hey, you're like, what do you, what are you going to do about this issue?" You know, I, I think the smart big companies will realize that monitor keepers or, and it's even though monitor keepers kind of started the trend, I now see bearded owners, hieromastic owners, collar any, lizards, yeah, hilloderma, yeah, anybody that would essentially need a high basking spot. And, you know, obviously they don't want to pay 50, 60 bucks for a power sun or whatever. Or eight, they're actually 80, 90 dollars now. It's crazy. Um, you know, they're it's they're insane, they're going man. and utilizing, you know, they're going and utilizing the, the, the floodlights that we use from Home Depot and Lowe's. So, you know, yeah. I think when people catch on and I'm talking about the big companies that make bulbs already, I think they'll eventually somewhat develop a thing for us. I hope so. Maybe I'll help. I know Arcadia has already dropped it, and they've already done it. And it obviously it's not the same, but it, it kind of is. You know, obviously it's not the same price, but the functionality of the bulb is is quite the same. Um, it is. You know, I wish they made 
like 45 and 50 watts and 60 watts, but they have a 50 watt and a 75 watt. It's just the bulb's a lot smaller. So if for monitor keepers, it's not a crazy thing because we already utilize, you know, a bank of bulbs, like one or two, three bulbs, right? Instead of just one. But let's say if I wanted to utilize just one bulb, I, I really couldn't, you know? So yeah. it's, it's, it's a balance. Someone we, we might be going back to uh, like remember the the hot rocks. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! Nah. Check it out. Check it out. New technology basically making it a lot safer for surface temperatures and whatnot. But it's almost like a like a little parking garage, something they can walk into. So you have like heat both at the top and at the bottom. I mean, we're already doing similar things like that, but you know where it's. Could be in the shape of a rock, could be in the shape of a little termite mound or whatnot. But like the lizard can walk into it, get heated up to where it is. Essentially, it just needs to get heated up. It can it can accomplish some of these same things other places. Now, uh, outside of the animals that might need UV for whatever reason and getting that in conjunction with heat, that might be a little different. But talking for for monitor related stuff, you know, where it can just get that heat that it needs. I don't know. There might be some other other things that we can try and, and try to accomplish through, I, I guess, new technology or, or bringing back old stuff and just doing it better. So. That That's kind of what – you reminded me of what Ron St. Pierre does. I saw on one of those videos. It's like the thing – remember he put the, uh, the plastic greenhouse paneling inside uh-huh. of that basking area, right? So because his laces couldn't get to that high temps that they needed. So the sun right. came through that and it made an oven basically to that 150. That That's very similar to what you said. I think that could be applicable as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. You kind of got to think outside the box a little yeah. bit, even with the design, right? And so, yeah, yeah a black a – bla- like let's say if I used like the setting that I was talking about earlier, the power sun and, and the floodlight next to each other. If I put <clears> a, a black piece of slate underneath the, that power sun or that mega ray – I'm pretty sure it'll help get it up there, you know, but on wood is I'm usually mostly using wood because my guys, my mangroves, they don't like to bask underneath blistering hot stuff. No. They're a, mm-hmm. a sh- uh, like a cool jungle shadow basker, you know, that's, that's the type of basking elements that they like. So, um, yeah, man, think outside the box, like the guys that are, I've seen guys that basically have like, um, the outdoor stuff. I've seen them spray paint, a piece of plywood black and just set it set it there and the the sun will make that thing much hotter than the the square footage around it you know and um just yeah he's got a thing man i think uh i forget his name i I think it's bert bert lang uh the gentleman that died that used to breed the teggies right his dude if we actually went into his brain or he had like a book of photos and he uses the most weirdest things that you could just stuff around your house bro like you you guys didn't grow with him and we got to see the end of him but man during his primes and stuff and what he would utilize he'd use like black rugs and and like just like tin cans scientists macgyver (laughs) literally macgyver anything right and so you got to go back i understand the hobby is has you know it's grown it we do we make our backgrounds now and and you know all those other things that that are evolving right but dang sometimes we just got to take it back to all crazy regular you know things that may not make sense to people it just makes sense you know 
It might look stupid, but if it works, yeah. it's not stupid. You know, and it's, it a, a nice looking enclosure is only good if it's functional. You can functional. have an enclosure that's functional and it doesn't look yeah. naturalistic, and it still works just as good as one that's naturalistic and functional. But if it's just yeah. naturalistic, yeah. it's useless to the animal, right? Yeah, you got a nice yeah. looking enclosure that's sixty degrees all around. You know, right. There you go. So all right. Yep. Okay, uh, you got any more questions, brother? It was a really that's, great, really yeah, great podcast. We that's a, a yeah, that's about it right now, man. I appreciate you guys for all the info. You guys are yeah, two wealths of knowledge for sure, man. Okay, oh, we, all we right. go back to the drawing board all the time, though. We're like, Wait, yeah. what? What did I do? What did you know? But yeah, <laughs> hopefully in an, yeah, hopefully in another year I can come back on having some more breeding experience and kind of. We could talk again about what's worked, what hasn't. So yeah, man, we'd love to have you back on for round two. Even your yeah, just man. your enclosure build. If you yeah, feel man. like you want to come on, and there's some stuff that you know will like 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 to reach the audience and to for show sure. the people getting into it, man. It doesn't have to be after you breed at all. You know, oh, just yeah. as long as just as long as there's a topic, you know, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely, know? definitely, man. All right, man. Um, to get to the to the last part in. And uh, Alan, this is what we kind of talked about yesterday. Uh, Will, Will as well. Um, this is off topic to what we're doing, but it's still regarding, you know, monitors or it's regarding keepers in general, you know. Um, and this is kind of, kind of a whole one eighty switch on, on what we're doing as far as topics go. But uh, Will is one of the, you know, I would say, younger generation leaders you know as far as what he does he's getting into the youtube world and more and more into monitors and it's not to say that he's like the leader or something like that but no we all are in some of our some way or another contributing to the younger generation coming up you know even alan even guys that have been around for a long time like like john or something like that we we want to nurture the the young crew coming up because you know, some of the things that have been uh, going on in the groups and through people, you know, just maybe their egos or whatever. Um, there's a lot of drama. You know, there's a lot of drama in groups and with with a lot of money involved, with a lot of, you know, uh, uh, expensive animals and 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 pride and um, power, whatever, whatever you want to consider um, people trip about. They, they are, you know, and, and when it comes down to, you know, like us, me and Alan working with, you know, I, I didn't know Will was 19 years old, but, you know, it's we're trying to nurture the younger generation, you know, even if they were five or seven years old or 10 years old, we want to make sure that we're grasping them in a way where they're not seeing this bad behavior as OK. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to see people fighting or you know being so egotistical with with knowledge and and fame or whatever you know as far as as far as we go we kind of need to work together because we're all kind of all we have and now to speak specifically about monitors we wouldn't be here without people like John willing to help all of us you know right. people like Dave Kirshner willing to help all of us people like Mike Stefani doing things for all of us. So for us to to take what they've done and then kind of claim it as our own and then, you know, either hoard information 
or choose sides or create little cliques and, and then not work with those guys. Or I try to work with everybody, you know, and to take me, for example, and let's say Aubrey, right? Because people have already tried to pin us against each other when we're actually on the same team, you know, we're if we don't bounce each other, bounce information off of each other. The coli may not have gotten where it has gotten this year. If it wasn't him messaging me and me messaging him for information, even if he's looking up to me, I'm still asking him for information. Hey, what are you implementing? How can it help me? You know, what are you doing? How can that help me? Things like that. If I were to be egotistical about the coli and being like, hey, I'm the only guy doing them and not work with Aubrey or not work with other people that are in the Indicus world, the Indicus world will stay the freaking same. It would be nobody breeding anything, nobody hatching anything, nobody getting from scared, frantic imports that are basically disregarded because of their natural behaviors. Um, You know, they'd get nowhere. But look at us now, you know. Um, Me and Alan and a few other members, we're in this big chat. And it's got members from Denmark, Canada, um, all, all over, all over the United States. And we work together and we bounce ideas and it's no longer just two people. It's now 25 people that are throwing information out there. Yeah. What work, what can work for me can possibly work for you. Try it. You know, we have zookeepers and regular novice all in the same group and you know, for us to work together and try to grow from what we saw monitors like 10 years ago to now, I think 2023 is probably one of the best years for monitors. Absolutely. I mean, you got to look at yeah. it. Crocs, Dumerals, all types of tree monitors, the, the coli that me and Aubrey have been able to do, um, a hand Spencer eye, you know, things that were dreams before now are actually being done because people are working together. Right. So with the drama, like I don't want to keep name names or, you know, people know who they are and what they may be doing. I really recommend, you know, just trying to work together, trying to drop some of the ego and just leave that at the door because at the end of the day, it's about the animals. It's about, you know, if you really cared for the animal, you would really try to, go the extra distance even if you didn't even if you didn't like that person or you didn't agree with what they're doing or you know maybe you guys bump heads or whatever the animals progress nowhere if you guys aren't trying to work together and so you know it might make you a better human being when you realize hey like I shouldn't have treated him like that you know we could try to be a team rather than working against each other and so if you're bumping heads with this person. How does that help the animals in turn? You know, how does that help these people in turn? It, it really, it, it really doesn't, you know, and the bashing and things like that, that I see in groups, you know, I try to, to, to avoid it. It's like you looking on the internet and you decided to step in poop. You know, it's, I can choose not to, you know, like I, I can choose not to. And, um, you can do the same with where, you know, you try not to throw words back and forth and, and you know, make a fool out of yourself on the Internet. 
when these younger generations are looking at you, then they'll see that this is okay when it's not, you know? And we're trying to get somewhere further for monitors, period. We're not done yet, you know? There's still a whole lot of species to be bred. There's still Doomerals, there's still Dorianas to be bred, Tricolors to be bred, you know, Roughnecks to do better. Grabii, Gold-Spotted. So many species that we can, you know, now, now we're implementing more things. You know, like even the simplest import, like Nile monitors, there needs to be some type of sufficient ground for people that want to breed those. And they can't just be written off as $5 imports because that's what they come in as. You buy a thousand, they're five bucks, you know, because people are selling them for 25, 30 bucks. How much do you think they got them for, you know? And we want, me and Alan, we've talked about this a lot. Niles are one of the prettiest monitors that are out there. Absolutely. They're one of the gold But they're so disregarded because they're cheap, you know, and they may have a temper, but my, my Indicus have one too. And you have to get people to love these things. Like, you know, essentially care about them enough to go the extra mile, to, to put in the effort, even if you make no money, even if you break even, you know, even if you go broke and go crazy, losing your mind, trying to figure them out, it, it, they need that effort. And so I want to kind of end this podcast, you know, with, 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 uh, Hopefully, people that do listen to this understand that the drama, it, it, it needs to stop. Or you need to keep it cordial, at the very least, and keep it off of the groups where, you know, the younger generation growing up, I don't want them to see, like, clicking up and working together, but then these guys suffer. Those guys that suffer, so do their animals. So yeah. does monitors in general. And if we love monitors like we say we do this is what you'd be doing, you know? Right. You know, and just to touch on that, I, I, I don't involve myself and I don't go looking for a lot of the stuff. Like Kai said, I stay out of it and I just never even click on it to begin with. So I'm oblivious to a lot of, even the, the, the stuff probably Kai's referencing at the moment. Um, and if somebody hits me up, I, I don't know what your backstory is unless something big went down or whatever, you know, <laughs> Uh, that you made the regular news. I don't know who you are, but I'll, I'll try to help out. Um, but as far as, you know, the, the competition with things, I don't know if it's business or ego or whatnot out there, but um, somebody told me when I first started getting back into it, there's enough room at the table for everybody, all right? Um, there's, there's plenty of room. There's plenty to do um, at, from a business standpoint for, for people out there. Reptiles is not a successful business model for most people, <laughs> all right? No. Um, and if you're not at the top, if you don't get in at the beginning and you don't know how to do it, there's, there's so many things. If you have the experience, you probably spent all your money getting there, okay? So you don't have any more money. If you have the money, then you probably haven't wasted it all on reptiles anyway. So you're missing the experience. So, but the guys that have both the experience and the money are few and far between to bring in like a new product, you would say. And by a product, I mean a new animal. Um, and to do that thing successfully and to get it to the point where in the first, let's say, five, ten years, they can actually be successful and make some money with that animal. 
All right, but you got to realize at some point, if you're successful, you're producing this thing, other people are going to get a hold of it. That's your business plan is to sell to them. And then at that point, they're going to hopefully be successful with the same thing. So, you know, um, if more people start be breeding Kimberly Rocks and being successful, we can really figure out across the U.S. how to hatch them uh, consistently. The price of them should come down to whatever, you know, maybe an Aki is or an Aki should come down uh, because there's a lot of people that can, I mean, people that I've sold to, people that have listened to the, the, this podcast, they're now being very successful with Aki's. So if there's a lot more breeders out there, then naturally the price has to come down. So I see people get hung up and people fighting about prices on things. It's like, hey, when there's a lot business, of a product, yeah, when there's a lot of a product, the price has to come down. You know, there's yeah. other places. Supply and demand, go. homie. Right. Yeah, and, and, and you, you have to accept that. You have to accept that. You know, I think some people are like, hey, you know, this guy's doing it and now I have competition. I'm just going to bail. I mean, you can bail, but are you scared of a little competition? That just means you got to work a little harder. You got to charge a little bit differently or go above and beyond to, to provide more than just the animal. You're providing service. You're providing, you know, knowledge. You're not only providing excellent help, but you know, you've then become a friend to these people. They're not just a customer. You then, if you purchase, if you purchase something that I worked blood, sweat and tears for, literally going crazy where I'm like burning out. Uh, if you buy one of those at whatever I charged you, you then become technically family to me. You know, mm-hmm. you become someone that, oh man, like, you know, hey buddy, like how, how's it going? It's not just here, buy it and you go your way and I'm going my way. You know, it's, it, it, it gets to that point where I put in so much work to this when you're buying it and you're, and for me, these things got me out of the gutter. You know, so if you're paying for my business that helped me get out of the worst situations in life, man, I see it more than that. You know, yeah. I see it as, you know, now this. But again, like Alan was saying, it's just competition and how it is with with anything. It can be court to to you know lizards. So, you know, I just I just want you guys to work together. You know, we can yeah. we can we can literally we can literally run the world together with with how these monitors are going and it, yeah, it gets, right. it doesn't get easier. We just get better, you know, right. yeah. it gets, it's the next task is quite difficult. If you consider Dorianus and tricolors as the next task, but we then become better at the knowledge that we've attained and then how we're going to then implement it into our, into our practices, you know? Yeah. So, and I will, I will say just, just for the younger generation of people who, who, yeah, we see the the monitor game, the reptile game, but especially the monitor game evolving in in the ways that we keep. But some of some of the younger guys, myself included, I'm I'm guilty of this too. But I've since changed my mindset. Sometimes you'll see or you'll feel unaccepted to a certain group, or you'll feel like people are holding information away, and then you'll you'll tend to like take this stance of, oh, we don't need the the OGs, or we don't need these people who have done it before me because they don't want to help me. I can do it by myself. And I just want to encourage all, all the younger guys, guys, that's not the right way to go about it. Or even if you don't agree with the way that someone does something, it's not right to to hold that against them and to not take anything. Because even the people who you may not agree with their husbandry practices, 
they, they may still be producing animals and have healthy animals. There's still some good that you can garner from them. And there's still a lot of information that you can learn. So I just want to kind of send a message like, guys, let's try to not make enemies in this whole thing. Let's yeah. not try not to bash heads, try not to be in competition with one another. But more so, let's try to just like Kai and Alan said, work together. And we're doing this for the animals at the end, guys, whether you're in you know, the U.S. like us, whether you're in, in Canada, in Australia, in, in South America and Africa and the U.K. Shout out my guy, Paul. But like but like anywhere, guys, we're all doing this on a global stage together. There's no bad that can come out of us working together, but there is a lot of bad that can come out of it if we decide to recluse and, and click up and stuff. So right. that's all. And yeah, man. So it was a great podcast, man. Really yeah, man. Good. It was Alan, a lot of fun. Add anything else, brother? When no. Get, wanna, no? I, I don't think so. I think we can wrap it up there. You know, I, I could go on with stories and stories, but. Uh, yeah, man. No, we're, that was a, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I'm really, yeah, I'm man. really glad that uh, we're able to work this out, Will. Um, For sure, probably, guys. Probably one of the dopest podcasts I think with the so many messages in this one, you know. Yeah, man. Um, and yeah, man. I, I just, I, I see, I see how things are erupting, and I, even if you know, I, I grew up that way of clicking up and you know fighting with Say, other people, yeah. and things like that. I just, I don't want that in my future. I don't want that no. in in what you know what I'm trying to show the younger generation because. They look up to me like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like something crazy. I'm just a regular guy trying to breed monitors yeah. and keep the peace as much as possible. You know, I just I don't I don't say this stuff for, from a condemning standpoint. I say this from a standpoint of this is how my mindset was. And I've realized that it's not the way to be, guys. Yeah. It's really not. We if we can all work together and it's, it'll just be so much better. We'll have more success. Who doesn't want more success with breeding our favorite animals in the entire world? You know what I mean? Right. We get to wake up every day and see our favorite species that we dreamed of when we were kids. And then we want to take that and be like, oh, I'm not going to share this with you when, you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. But I will say this for those guys that, that do want that edge above the competition, go ahead and buy your grasshoppers from Kai because that's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless yeah, look. Every, everybody loves grasshoppers now. You know, but yeah, it, and like I, I, I'll say this myself, man, it's not even about the grasshoppers. I've seen people do it without it. You know, it's just, mm -hmm. I just introduced a different feeder than you using mice. So, yep. you know, it's, it's something different. Oh, man, I was just you know? throwing that in there to have some fun with the people. <laughs> it's the wings, man. It's the wings. I will say when I first got my Pilbara, I, it, it wouldn't eat anything for a month, for like a month or two months. And I was getting worried. Dude, yeah. I threw it a grasshopper and it clicked. It was a mix of the grasshopper and a DP projector that, that yeah. just turned it on. And yeah, the man. wings, it's, the wings fluttering, weird. man. It's, you know, the, the imported tree monitors, the Parsonai, uh, horned lizards, so many, so many fresh imported stuff. People, you know, they come to me, they ask for the grasshoppers and bam, in months, their animals never eaten. But once the grasshoppers were introduced, they saw the lizard light up. So, so much of those those animals you named are canopy dwelling animals, right? And we've yeah. been trying to feed them ground dwelling feeders, yep. like a tree yeah. monitor or a chameleon. They've probably never seen a, a roach or a grub in their yeah. life. What do they right. see? They see stick bugs, grasshoppers, and Katie did. So when you give them yep. that, it in their mind it snaps. It right. snaps, and, and they're able to. And go. it's just now that's how we think. It's how yeah you know as much as we love the captive you know manipulations that we've been doing with what we have available, man, 
we still have to take from the wild. We still have to uh, incorporate what the wild is doing and then put it in our box. You know, they do it the best. Yeah, man, they do it the best. Nothing, nothing, there, nothing beats the wild, you know. Yep. All right, man. Hey, it was great to have you on, brother. Uh, yes, sir. Alan, Thank where, you, guys. Where can they find you, man? Well, they can find me, uh, of course, uh, Origins Reptile on Facebook and Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram. Uh, you can hit me up by Messenger. Uh, if if you try to friend me under just Alan Stevens, I'm real selective about just making that like the uh, the family and friends uh, locally for the most part. Um, there are a few reptile people, but there's usually some history behind it, you know, for whatnot. So don't get offended. Just um, you can always message me on, on something. I just I keep that for my sanity, too, because if I don't, then everything everything will be reptiles. And I try to keep that separation in life just for my family's sake, um, for my own sake, for, for things. Um, so, you know, find me on, on either one of those, those first two mentioned and, uh, or reach out and, um, I'll, I'll get better soon once everything's done and moved in about getting back to people on a more consistent basis as well. Cause this has been taking up a lot of time, but that's where you can find me. Will, what about you, man? Instagram, Mr. Will Exotic, or you can watch my YouTube videos at Will Exotic. If you like monitor related content, listening to me ramble about my favorite lizards in the world. <laughs> That's it. Uh, you on Facebook as well, or not really? Uh, I, no, I'm on. I'm perpetually on Facebook. Unfortunately, you know, <laughs> mostly just mostly just learning from you guys and, and the tree monitor groups. But if you guys have questions about different monitors, I'll try my best to answer them. But I'll also gladly refer you guys to people who are, are more knowledgeable than me if I can. So, Kai, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram under big underscore lizard one hundred three. Um, but I'm uh, even though I'm on Instagram a little bit every day, I'm on Facebook a lot more and much more responsive on Facebook. So you can find me under uh, Just Kai Fan. Um, but you can you can also find me at a couple other places as well, like on YouTube, things like that. Um, I said you can you, find me in the lab. He yeah, said you, you can, can find me in the lab. <laughs> you can find me busy working, man. Um, all right, Ali, you want to close this out, brother? Yeah. Um, again, we're brought to by the the uh, umbrella, I would say, uh, of uh, Morelia Python Radio Network. Uh, the Eric's great guy, um, Owen, great guy. If if you're not familiar with um, uh, what we're talking about, just do a word search for it. You're gonna get linked up with not only the original pro- podcast, Morelia Python Radio. Um, but all of the other podcasts that they now have, there's at least 10. I, I haven't even counted in a while. There's probably more covering almost every topic out there. And then you can also um, seek out information on there. You can email um, really Python Radio. Um, you can follow their, their Facebook and Instagram. There's a lot of great information. They do a calendar contest for a lot of, a lot of the carpet pythons. There's carpet fests uh, all over the U.S. If you're into to, uh, carpet pythons, like everyone should be because they're awesome. Um, <clears throat> but just just do yourself a favor. Go on there. Look it up. Even on their, their original uh, show, they had multiple guests. Uh, some going back as far as 10 years ago. 
um, with different like keeper, different monitor keepers, um, sharing some really cool information on there. So uh, there's a lot to learn from some of these old school keepers and the way they would do things. Or we say old school, but this is just the way they would they would get things done and incorporating that. And maybe it'll spur you on a new idea. So I encourage you to go back and listen to all that stuff. You can you can just soak yourself in. So uh, there's that much content out there. So you can listen. All right, guys. I think we should wrap it up. All right, boys. Thank you guys for the invite, man. All right, man. Well, thanks, man. Have a good one. Sir.